Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and Sputnik Radio. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. A Swiss solar energy panel producer has announced an improvement in efficiency and will enlarge its output now, hopefully bringing solar manufacturing back to Europe. Berlin is having climate protest in the streets this week, as the climate-caused wildfires in the Mediterranean region now include France. Severe flooding is occurring in eastern Russia, as well as Haiti, where the earthquake death toll reached 2,100. Brief COVID reports from Iran, Malaysia, and Israel. The World Health Organization says that the vaccine booster shots are less important than getting shots to the vulnerable in other countries. Then an update on the pro-democracy activist in Hong Kong, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Well, those Teslas will need plenty of green energy, and Swiss solar panel producer Meyer Berger hopes to provide it. The company has announced a net loss in profit for the first half of the year, but said it's positioned for a strong second half. That announcement made just today. It says its order books are full through the next two quarters. Access to raw materials remains solid despite kinks in the global supply chain. And the company just raised 75 million euros in new funding. Now, for Europe's solar industry, the privately held company represents a new ray of hope. German manufacturer Meyer Burger has developed a completely new type of solar module and started production a few weeks ago. The individual cells are connected using so-called smart wire technology. They produce around 20% more electricity than standard modules. Production is faster and requires fewer raw materials, a key technological advantage. We're the first to apply this technology in a new way. Compared to the big players around the world, we're the first, and we're going to use it to produce the world's best modules here at the site. Demand for solar modules looks set to keep rising in coming years, as climate change forces the rapid replacement of coal, oil and gas. And solar energy has become the cheapest form of power generation. In 2009, it still cost nearly 36 US cents to generate a kilowatt hour of solar power. By 2020, it was only 3.7 cents, 90% less. Only wind power can keep up. By contrast, the cost of generating one kilowatt hour of coal-fired power is 11.2 US cents. Here in Freiberg, production will soon be going around the clock. The goal is to produce 3,000 solar modules a day. The company believes that it's just the beginning for solar modules from Europe. Europe is getting back on board and will hopefully continue to grow over the next few years. We're going to play a crucial role in that. 
For the time being, the modules are only being sold in Germany, Europe and the USA. But who knows, maybe China will soon want solar modules made in Germany. Climate activists in Berlin have kicked off a week of protests with a sit-in at the Brandenburg Gate near the seat of Germany's parliament. Several hundred demonstrators partially blocked streets in the German capital, disrupting traffic. The protesters are demanding more robust climate protection measures by the government. Thousands of people have been evacuated in southern France as a massive wildfire spreads. Two firefighters have been injured battling the blaze on the French Riviera. France is the latest of a number of Mediterranean countries to be hit by extreme weather and wildfires in recent weeks. Hundreds of firefighters are battling a major wildfire west of Athens for a fourth day. Greek emergency workers helped by Polish crews have managed to protect a village and rescue thousands of residents, but strong winds are hampering their efforts. The blaze has already forced the evacuation of several villages. Flooding in Russia's far east has inundated thousands of homes, causing hundreds of residents to be evacuated. Emergency crews are only able to access some areas by boat. Floodwaters have also damaged motorways, bridges and railways in the Amur region. The death toll from Saturday's massive earthquake in Haiti has risen to nearly 2,000 people. Emergency crews are still searching for survivors, but rescue efforts are being hampered by a tropical storm, which has brought heavy rains and strong winds. In Iran, where the health ministry says the number of recorded coronavirus deaths has passed 100,000. The announcement comes amid tighter nationwide pandemic restrictions. Malaysia has reported almost 23,000 new cases on Thursday, beating the record set just the previous day and breaking records uh, across Southeast Asia. And Israel's army says it will deploy about 200 reservists to support staff in dozens of hospitals amid a major surge in infections. Israel has introduced new restrictions to curb the spread of COVID-19. Vaccination certificates or negative tests will now be required to enter restaurants, bars, cultural and sports venues, as well as hotels and gyms. On Tuesday, the country recorded a seven-month high in the number of daily cases amid a surge driven by the Delta variant. The World Health Organization has announced that current data does not indicate a need for COVID-19 booster shots. The group said two shots should be given to the most vulnerable people around the world before providing third doses to vaccinated people in high-income countries. Police in Hong Kong have arrested four university students under the Chinese territory's controversial national security law. They say the students were paying tribute to a pro-democracy activist who stabbed a police officer and then killed himself. Authorities have previously cautioned people against mourning the attacker, describing it as tantamount to terrorism. In Hong Kong, where the trial of several uh, prominent uh, opposition activists has begun, according to local uh, media reports, all seven pleaded guilty to organizing others to take part in pro-democracy protests in 2019. Amongst them is Raphael Wong, former chairman of an opposition political party. Most of Hong Kong's prominent democracy activists are currently in prison. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com. Next, NHK World Radio Japan. 
China conducted air and naval drills near Taiwan in response to U.S. military activity. COVID infections continue to increase in Japan, while citizens in Thailand protested government's slow action on getting vaccines. Unprecedented heavy rains continue to batter Japan. Just a note, 1,000 millimeters is about 33 inches. NHK Japan China's military says it has conducted air and naval drills near Taiwan on Tuesday in response to what it calls provocations from the United States and Taiwan. Taiwan's defense ministry announced that these types of Chinese planes entered its air defense identification zone over waters southwest of Taiwan. The Chinese military announced that its Eastern Theater Command, whose jurisdiction covers the East China Sea, dispatched warships, anti-submarine aircraft and fighter jets for the exercise in the sea and airspace southwest and southeast of Taiwan. The spokesperson for the Theater Command issued a statement saying, Recently, Washington has frequently colluded with Taiwan, constantly making provocations. He added that the actions seriously violated China's sovereignty and became the biggest source of security risk in the Taiwan Strait. He defended the drills as a necessary action to safeguard China's sovereignty. Earlier this month, the U.S. administration of President Joe Biden endorsed arms sales to Taiwan. The deal is worth about $750 million. We start with the coronavirus situation in Japan. On Thursday, the number of confirmed new cases in a single day topped 25,000 for the first time. 22 prefectures reported record high coronavirus cases on Thursday. 1,765 patients are seriously ill. The number has marked a record high for seven straight days. Prefectures with record high cases include Okinawa. The local medical association has asked people not to get together with relatives during a festival period that begins on Friday. Tokyo has confirmed 5,534 new cases. That's the second highest daily total reported here. Protests are escalating in Thailand over the government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Many people are believed to have been injured in clashes with police in the three days through Tuesday. Protesters are calling on Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-cha to resign. They blame the government for a spike in cases and for the country's slowness in getting hold of COVID-19 vaccines. As the Delta variant spreads, Thailand has been reporting over 20,000 new infections and around 200 deaths every day. On Sunday, demonstrators in cars and on motorbikes clashed with police as they moved toward government facilities. A police building and vehicles were set on fire. On Monday, protesters threw firecrackers at police. Officers responded by firing rubber bullets and tear gas, and the clash is thought to have left many people hurt. A hospital said one protester was wounded by a live bullet, The police have denied using live rounds. Demonstrators angered by the incident rushed to the police headquarters on Tuesday, throwing stones and paint. Unprecedented heavy rains have been better in Japan with some areas, including Kyushu, receiving nearly one meter of rainfall in a week or so. 
Now, we've got lots of rainfall on Tuesday in southern Kyushu and other parts of western Japan, including the Kinki region and the Shikoku region. Southern Kagoshima saw 380 millimeters of rain in a space of only 24 hours. More rain is on the way. Now, since the beginning of rain, that was last week, we saw 1,191 millimeters of rain in Unzendake and Ureshino. 1.1 meters of rain has fallen. That's nearly 50% of its annual rainfall. The numbers will likely go up for the next several days. Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Venezuela called on the United States, Canada, and the European Union to cease the economic stress of imposing sanctions. Experts in Bolivia determined that the political events in September of 2019 constituted a coup against Evo Morales. Then a viewpoint on the chaos in Afghanistan as the Taliban rapidly returned to power. Radio Havana, Cuba. The Venezuelan government has called on the United States, Canada and the European Union to cease their, quote, blackmail and pressure and lift the unilateral coercive measures imposed on the South American country. According to media reports, the US, the EU and Canada said they are willing to review the sanctions policy towards Venezuela if the government of President Nicolas Maduro facilitates, quote, significant progress at the dialogue table with the opposition established in Mexico. The Interdisciplinary Group of Independent Experts, the GIEI Bolivia, presented its report on the events that took place in Bolivia during September and December of 2019. The investigation was carried out over a period of eight months, during which they interviewed and listened to testimonies of civil society organizations, witnesses of the coup violence, and different authorities and institutions. More than 400 people were interviewed and over 120,000 files were analysed. At the public launch of the final report on the human rights violations committed in 2019 during the de facto government of Jainin Agnes, Bolivian President Luis Arce and other government officials were on hand. During their investigation, the specialists visited the departments of La Paz or Sencata, Cochabamba, Sacaba, Santa Cruz, Montero, Sucre and Potosi. It was determined that, in the context of the 2019 coup d'etat, Bolivia's military forces violently repressed the population and committed massacres, such as the one in Sacaba in Chapare, on November the 15th of that year. Despite the efforts of the United States government to cover up the events of the last few days in Afghanistan, the tone of the headlines in the international press speaks clearly of a military as well as political and economic defeat of the world's leading power. Not everyday experts get to assess what two decades of imposed war left for those people or what it means for current and future generations of Americans. Afghanistan, ruled by the Taliban since 1996, never declared war on the northern nation. Moreover, not a single one of the hijackers of the planes that hit the Twin Towers in New York, the Pentagon, or the one that crashed in Pennsylvania were of Afghan nationality. 
However, after the regrettable attack of September 11, 2001, Washington not only needed to eliminate Osama bin Laden, it could do so, as it did later, with a clandestine military operation. To wash away his wounded self-esteem, something more forceful was needed, and war was the most appropriate setting. Since history is not the strength of American strategies, Afghanistan seemed the ideal target, an underdeveloped country with a government that was not at all sympathetic to the Western world and the incentive of having NATO in a military adventure that seemed short at the beginning. Indeed, the early days had confirmed this. The bombings began in October, and by the end of 2001, the Taliban seemed dismantled. But from then on, the occupiers had no moments of peace, and the days of war turned into weeks, months, years, and finally decades. Soon it was impossible to hide the planes loaded with coffins, the hospitals full of mutilated people, physically or psychologically. The human cost was terrible. More than 250,000 Afghan civilians, mostly women and children, were displaced by the fighting. 18 million needed humanitarian aid to survive. More than 47,000 lost their lives, in addition to some 66,000 soldiers and local police and 51,000 Taliban fighters. Just over 6,000 Americans, including military and contractors, that is to say mercenaries, and 1,000 NATO troops were killed. Expenditures to finance the war totaled almost $3 trillion, most of them in credits that by 2050 will generate interest for another $6.5 trillion that will be paid, as it cannot be otherwise, by the citizens who contribute their taxes to the public coffers. A disaster that will have consequences because 20 years of war is a long time and will leave a deep mark on both attackers and victims. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though their podcast links are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6100. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Help me keep producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a good listener in Willits, California did this week. Many thanks. We will conclude with Sputnik Radio. On this weekly program, George Galloway spoke with Joe Emmersberger, respected Canadian journalist. They discussed the four theaters of conflict the U.S. is currently involved in, Latin America, Russia, China, and Iran. They talk about the global financial influence of China and how the U.S. utilization of Canada has changed since 2004. Sputnik Radio. The United States has four theaters of conflict, at least, going on simultaneously at this moment. One is in Latin America, where despite all their efforts, the so-called pink tide seems to be back with a new left-wing president of Peru very recently ordained, 
inaugurated and indeed in other countries like Bolivia, like Ecuador, things have not gone according to the United States plan. Uh, their attempts to foment regime change in Cuba appears also to have floundered. They are in confrontation with Russia over the Ukraine, growing ever uh, nearer to Russia's borders. They are sailing into trouble in China, over Taiwan, in the South China Sea, and of course the old perennial, Israel-Palestine and Iran. The latter, perhaps, is the most likely to break out into widespread conflagration. At least it looked that way for a few days this week after the attack on an Israeli-owned oil tanker in the Persian Gulf. One man who tracks all of these areas and all of these issues is the Canadian writer, commentator and analyst Joe Emmersberger. Let's start with Latin America. Uh, how significant a setback is the new Peruvian president to the United States, Pax Americana? Peru is a huge setback because actually Peru just announced that they're withdrawing from the so-called Lima Group. It's, uh, it's a collection of uh, countries, basically the right-wing countries of Latin America and some of the Caribbean. Uh, it was spearheaded by Canada in 2017 to basically provide an, an ad hoc kind of alliance that supported uh, U.S. aggression in, in Venezuela. It's a, it's a huge announcement. It's a huge, it's a very important symbolic and, and practical uh, move towards uh, sovereignty in the region. You know, sovereignty is key. If you don't have sovereignty, you don't have democracy. I don't, I don't think a lot of people grasp that. If, if your policies can be overruled by the unelected people in Washington, nobody elected to run Peru or Venezuela or anywhere else, uh, then you don't, obviously you, can, you don't have democracy and you don't have sovereignty. There seems no end to the appetite in Washington for confrontation around the world. Why is that? Well, the United States is an empire and they're, they're, you know, they want to basically terrorize the world into, into following their orders. You know, they're so brazen that they, that even includes China. China now has is, is become a, a, a major competitor for the United States, a major uh, alternative source of financing, especially in Latin America. There are a few of articles in the U.S. media uh, whining about uh, China's activities of financing countries in Latin America, investing in Latin America. And they're saying that, oh, China's trying to achieve a, a veto power over policy in Latin America. Well, of course, any, anyone who knows anything about Latin America knows that the country that's exerted a kind of veto power, it's, uh, that's a nice name for it, is the United States. But they project their policies onto others because, you know, they want, they want to maintain control. It's one thing seeking to bully Cuba, even to bully Venezuela, though Venezuela's a, a big fish with a, a lot of oil and a lot of potential to be an independent player in Latin America. But when you're taking on the Latin American pink bloc, the People's Republic of China, Russia and Iran, all at the same time, you'd have to be a tiger at the peak of your powers to do that, wouldn't you? Yeah, certainly. And, and I think the, the U.S. belligerents also, I think, maybe uh, gets these countries out of any complacency they had about working within the U.S. financial system. If you look at developments now, with hindsight, we say, well, why, why are they even enmeshed in the U.S. financial system when the US, United States uses that as such an important lever of power and blackmail? Now they see, I think it's more clear that the way the, the United States will weaponize that for anybody. So they have to develop 
uh, alternative financial institutions that allow them to bypass the U.S. The British government have sent special forces into Yemen to find those that attacked uh, the Israeli-owned tanker in the Gulf. So it turns out it wasn't Iran, apparently. After all, it was somebody in Yemen. Do you think it's conceivable the U.S. will go to war with Iran or assist Israel in going to war with Iran? The United States has to uh, try to rule, uh, build its empire through intimidation. I mean, that goes all the way back to the you know, Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't think they wanted to blow up the world, but they're so obsessed with control, with maintaining their dominance, that they have to appear to others out of control. Chomsky has cited these kind of internal documents where, where U.S. planners have said, you know, we can't appear too rational. We have to appear that we're ready to go berserk. Uh, Nixon is, is, has said something similar uh, he put it in, in more simpler terms about the so-called madness. Crazy, theory. yeah, crazy Nixon. Yeah. He told Kissinger to uh, paint the picture of crazy Nixon. Well, Afghanistan is a case in point, isn't it? Trillions of dollars, a mountain of dead people, uh, another mountain of severely damaged people. But now they're uh, scuttling out of uh, Kabul, uh, rather like they scuttled out of Saigon back in the day thing is, is that even when an, an imperial power, you, you know, people talked about Vietnam being a defeat. When you have a defeat that, that inflicts uh, you know, millions of deaths uh, and destructions, it, it's, you know, it's a defeat that comes at such a, a massive cost that it still sends a, a huge message throughout the world that, you know, like you said, these guys are out of control. They're, they're, they'll do anything to maintain their, their power. So it, it's, it's, still, it's still very alarming. U.S. power declines relative to what it was, but there's, they can still inflict so much damage in, in all over the world. It speaks volumes about countries like Canada, like the, like the you know, Europeans who are regarded in the U.S. as being more uh, reasonable, but they've really stepped up, I'd say, since 2004 to, to be more brazen in, in, in being accomplices to the U.S. They're not doing it in as sneaky as way, I'd say, as they, as they used to. Canada had a reputation in the world, deserved or undeserved, as the kind of uh, kinder, nicer North American state. But under Trudeau, who's supposed to be uh, some class of liberal, uh, they have shown themselves really to be uh, more than ready to be used in support of United States adventurism abroad. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, it's a huge propaganda asset for the United States because in U.S. public opinion polls, you see that the U.S. The Canadian government is, is regarded very highly. Canada, like the United States, is basically a genocidal project, and that's, that's been shown quite dramatically recently with the more uh, discoveries of, of indigenous people, children, uh, in these uh, so-called res residential schools. It's a, it's a euphemism. It's they were more like death camps. And so, you know, we have this horrendous past. We have this track record of complicity with, with the U.S. empire, but it was, it was more discreet. I'd say since 2004, Canada really be, stepped up. It seemed like as George W. Bush lost credibility with the Iraq war, Canada stepped up and some other countries in Europe too, uh, France, it kind of stepped up to become more, take a, a more assertive role in, in supporting the United States uh, aggression abroad. You know, with Canada, we, we were right in there supporting the, the coup against the Aristide in Haiti. And, you know, the, the, the policies towards Israel became more openly uh, in support of the apartheid state. Trudeau, one of the most outrageous things he did recently was he threatened the ICC, the International Criminal Court. He actually uh, threatened them to withhold funding if they uh, pursued a case against Israel.
Joe Emmersberger, thank you very much for joining us on board the Sputnik. That interview is by George Galloway from his program called Sputnik Radio, heard on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the Voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's out farpress.com. On my website, you can listen to past shows. Please take a moment and make a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.